Hello and welcome to Tape Notes, the podcast that looks behind the scenes at the magic of recording and producing music. Every episode we'll be reuniting an artist and producer and talking through some of the highlights from their collaboration in the studio. So join us as we lift the lid on the creative process and the inner workings of music production to see what lies beneath. Hello, I'm John Kennedy, and joining me for this episode of Tape Notes is Floating Points to talk about how he recorded and produced the album Crush. Sam Shepard, otherwise known as Floating Points, is an electronic producer and musician who makes music that's both critically acclaimed and stylistically diverse. Fueled by an indulgent record-hunting habit, he draws inspiration from an eclectic palette of musical worlds, including soul, disco, house and techno, as well as from classical composers such as Messiaen and Stockhausen. Raised in Manchester, Sam was a chorister at Manchester Cathedral and studied piano at Cheatham's School of Music, eventually finding his way into electronic music through the use of the school's small studio, equipped with only an Atari computer and an S950 sampler. Whilst balancing DJing and studying for a PhD in neuroscience and epigenetics, Sam's career as Floating Points launched in 2008 when his bootleg remix of Sunrise I'll Wait For You was picked up by DJ Giles Peterson. His subsequent releases were put out on his own label, Eglo Records, and after a multitude of singles and EPs, he released his critically acclaimed debut album, Alania, on his new label, Pluto. To date, as Floating Points, he has released almost 20 singles, three EPs, a countless number of mixes, two albums, and collaborated with artists such as KTB and Fortet. Today, I'm here at EMS4 with Floating Points to talk about how Crush was recorded and produced. And what better way to start that conversation than by hearing something from the record. This is Lay's Alps. It is Les Alps by Floating Points from the album Crush. And I'm very pleased to say that I can clarify the pronunciation of that song because Floating Points Sam Shepard is here. So, Sam, what do you say? So it's spelt like Alps, but with an X instead of an S on the end. Yeah, I mean, that's probably how you'd say it. It's a made up word. It's the file name I gave the track when I started it. So it's kind of a, one of those, just like Anna Sick module on the record, tune titles that I'm not entirely proud of but they just kind of stick right because for that i immediately thought of the alps and thought right. oh, well maybe it's got something to do well, with that. it does i mean I, I i started the file whilst i was there my, my partner's got a little chalet in the middle of nowhere there so we go every twice a year or something and i took with me the synthy which is just to your right and made a lot of that tune on on that wow um, and then actually came back to London and deleted all of that and then uh, replaced it with the ARP 2600. Right. 
So, I mean, I am surrounded by keyboards and synthesizers and soldering irons and lots and lots of cables and a variety of different sized speakers in your studio. Do you have a, a name for your studio? Um, it, it's called EMS4 on the records I credit it as. Right. And it's, um, I mean, it's pretty lame, but when I was at school, there were three electroacoustic music studios. And number three was the one that they let me use because it was the one that no one really cared about anymore. It was the old uh, tape room because they they just got a digital studio and it was kind of all fancy and everyone was getting really excited about using ADAP, which I wouldn't wish upon anyone. Um, <laughs> and so I was using this old eight track in, in this room, Atari uh, with Cubase and you have to install it every time you turned it on. And... Uh, s950 akai sampler so that's kind of how i started out yeah um and so then i built this whilst i was at university the studio and it, it's kind of bloomed into to what it is now yeah it's a bit of a mess and so you, you called it ems4 i love that and so by using when you refer to this studio um do you mean in this specific room or by this studio do you mean the collection of equipment that you have that you create with um I mean, this I did have a. I used to have a studio in the Truman Brewery, which is around around the corner from here, and I only got that because. So the, this, my studio was in my bedroom uh, when I was living in as a student in Kings Cross, and I bought this API desk, and that was you know in there as well. And I'd have to crawl, and uh, this stand for the desk is uh, I bought it off Katie Tunstall actually. <laughs> and I had to crawl. I had to crawl underneath it to get into bed, and and I remember when I went to check out the stand, I was checking underneath. I was like, "Well, is there enough space for me to crawl?" Because <laughs> it was on. Uh, you know, originally when I got it, it was on like these weird trestle things. Right. Um, I mean, I guess it's about two feet wide. Is it three feet wide yeah. and two feet high? So there'd be a tiny little gap. Yeah, to crawl through a little to gap get underneath. to your bed. Yeah, amazing. And so, uh, I mean, it was a very strange situation, but I had this. I mean, this is quite a professional desk, I think, for and when I was t maybe twenty, twenty-two when I bought it or something, and um, I had a student loan, and, uh, and I took out an absolutely crazy bank loan to get it, and I, I felt a little stupid at the time, but, but actually, this has been a very, it's been a very good idea. I think, I, I think my mixes have become a lot better. It's just so easy to use. Right, so, um, and, and so that's a recording desk. Yeah, and yeah. I had it fully loaded with EQs. I had, I was previously using a lot of API EQs. There's a studio up in Dollis Hill called Fish Factory Studios. I was using it quite a lot. They had an API Vision there, and so I knew that I wanted the sound of this desk. I like the five twelve C preamp, and uh, and I think this was it was relatively new, like uh, to market. I think the serial number of this one's less than a hundred or something, and so so it's like quite an early one. And um, I had a lot of trouble with it when I first got it, and because I wasn't a professional studio, I wasn't getting much support from API. And they've gotten better helping me now, but yeah, early on when I got it, it was a nightmare. It's like six months; it was just mono. Um, but you still managed to use it and create things with it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like there's I remember there's this remix I did of a record by. Daedalus or something, right? Um, that's on Ninja Tune, um, and that was the first thing I think I mixed on it. And I just remember being so stoked at how good that sounded because uh, I'm not really—I don't know what I'm doing. 
Yeah, and I really, really don't know what I'm doing. I just know what I like the sound of. And, you know, I, a compressor, I don't know what a compressor does, but, um, well, I, I do, but I, I, I think, you know, I, I just basically think, oh, I need some control over the dynamics here. I put, turn it on, put the sound through it, turn the knobs until it sounds better. And then A, B it on, off, bypass. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's better. It's usually louder. That's, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. what happens. Um, so, so it's a kind of trial and error and yeah. user experience. Yeah, um, exactly. And so, so I was in my in my bedroom studio, and then had um, bought a, a Studer A80, which is a big, big old tape machine. Which is again because there's a Sonic thing that I I really liked using that in a, a studio, um, and then that arrived and it wouldn't fit through the door my house and i yeah i messed it up totally and so what trying to get it in the building yeah right. so it was literally sitting on the street in king's cross with a tarpaulin over it for uh, for about a week and no one thought it was they're really heavy and uh and i found a studio in just a room in the truman brewery so i moved into there but and it had a doorway big enough to get it through. Yeah. How big is this thing? Seventy-two centimeters wide. So right. It's a yeah. My door was like sixty-eight or something, and and I couldn't do anything about it. There's nothing. Yeah. Um, so so I got the studio, and then there's a bowling alley underneath the studio. It's still there, I think. And their power went out for a long time, and they had to get a diesel generator, and the, they put the diesel generator in the sort of void that was underneath my studio. So the studio is basically perpetually rumbling mm. um and there's that it's funny because I've, I've got a few vocal takes of fatima from back then and you can kind of hear the diesel generator in the background of the of the, of the vocals yeah and so i moved out there into into here and how, how long ago was that then uh be like seven or eight years ago or yeah yeah so uh, i mean this is a, a fascinating space because it's it's surprisingly big isn't it and you've got an mm. awful lot of equipment here mm. that must have taken years and years yeah. to build up. I mean, that, and that's the other interesting thing because um, in preparing for this edition of Tape Notes, I was thinking, how, what kind of language am I going to use to, to discuss this stuff with Sam? Because it, in some ways, I mean, I'm a non-musician, so one of the reasons why I love talking to musicians is to you know, unravel the mystery that has me in awe. And it seems to be another layer of mystery around what you do as floating points. Sam, because obviously you are a musician, but you also use technology in a big way. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to find out how you make that work. Well, I probably don't use it properly, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe that's part of the, the happy accident or, uh, you know, the, the creativity. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to think so, yeah, that sort of slightly naive use of these bits of gear. And, I mean, there's, there is definitely a pragmatism some of some of these pieces of gear like wave generators going into filters going into envelope generators it's so basic and those those are the sort of key principles that i you know, work off yeah yeah so i mean we're going to listen to a few pieces of music and and unravel them a little bit so the first one and we've just heard Les alps but uh, first one we're going to look at more closely is last bloom so how does your creative process work i mean i know that with every creative person every musician each track each song differs um however you know if we're thinking about floating points and what you do because there's an array of different sounds on the album and 
some are electronic, some are um, real instruments. And and you're somebody who's a skilled pianist. Um, so do you look to your bank of equipment and just plug something in to get you going in the morning, or or do you hear a melody and think, oh, I need to play that on the piano and uh, yeah. capture that? Yeah, it differs every single time, and um, I wish I could sort of bottle the the point at which it, it's actually kicking off. It's so rare that I actually make music. I mean, I'm here a lot of the time. You know, most of the time I'm just sort of uh, experimenting with, with the equipment, um, and I feel like it's you know it's a process of learning the piece of equipment, just as a cellist would dedicate their life to making that instrument an extension of their expression of whatever it is that they're trying to convey. I feel like the same is true for any electronic instrument. It's particularly difficult to get something that is so dry as a sort of current generating a circuit board to actually produce something that is uh, can be moving mm. because I can you know I can listen to a middle C on a CS70 and play with some of the knobs and then just be like this sounds amazing They're like sort of a transportive so I guess that's the the quest in this place I find the modular stuff a bit harder to do that with because it is even drier uh, by very nature, it's just, you know, very basic circuit boards that do very, very basic things that you then patch together to try and do things. But there are certain instruments in here. I think the ARP 2600, to your right, is inherently a musical synthesizer. I think you can, you could, if you, on the bottom right, there's a power switch. That one there? Yeah. Is it a switch up? Yeah, right. and then if you, I don't know, if you play a note, Wow, I mean, I don't know. That's uh, <laughs> who knows what that is, but sounds to like me, I'm jamming with Thurston Moore already. Right, but to me, that I mean, that's that sounds inherently, uh, you know, musical. To yeah, me. like there's, you could move any of the switches now blind, and and then it would um, be doing something cool. Yeah, um, and so that and the chroma, I think, is is pretty pretty brilliant. Like, yeah, never, the one never, that seemed to have a life of its own. Yeah, that's never given me any anything that sounds bad. I mean, I had a phase, the reason I got two is because one of them is, um, was quite poorly for a while, and so you'd turn it on, and after about 30 minutes, it'd start just pinging the oscillators, and they'd start detuning, and I've got hours of recordings of it just self-oscillating, because it sounds so wicked. <laughs> and it's just these kind of waterfalls of, like, falling oscillators, and, mm. yeah, I used to play them before our shows before we'd go on stage with the band. Yeah. She'd just play these drones of the, the chroma just going eight. You know, like, so it's, uh, yeah, that's, I love that, that synth. And yeah. then any, any of the sort of hammer action ones, so like the Wurlitzer roads, things like that, you know, they're, they're always fun to play. Mm. So with Last Bloom, how did this particular track um, start? Yeah, so I'm looking at it, trying to think, it's usually like one, so I've recorded most of this record in, Logic, we've got um, a 24-track Atari, which I've actually lent to a friend. I wasn't here when it was taken, which is <laughs> <laughs> was part of the design. I didn't want to be around when that was lifted out of here. Um, and so, so some of it's done that, and, and but but this most of this record was done digitally. Um, more and more nowadays, it's not so much bits of audio chopped up. 
it's like long takes so i treat the computer as sort of as a tape machine so it's i mean you can see this is actually quite chopped up this one but there is one long take which is the cs70 which i'd fairly recently acquired maybe earlier this year from apparently it came from cassius right um, i like uh thinking about like you know who used to have the synths and uh, yeah, the provenance like, of, of yeah. Things. I mean, it's just, it's just nice to know that you know you hear in their records, you'll hear the CS seventy, and you'll be like, oh, wicked, that's. And then it kind of found its way into my records, and then I'll hand it over to someone else. And I really like this idea. Yeah. Um, let me see what. Yeah. So probably, I probably started with elements of this. Um, So this would be you just creating sounds at random? Or? Um, it sounds like it's sequenced somehow. I did, I did uh, add MIDI to it, so... Um, and so I think, I think it's probably sequenced uh, pattern, but then there's something about this instrument that... Um, it has these uh, switches here called feet, um, which is a uh, you know harks to back to the organ pipe mm. length, and so it's sixteen, eight, five and a third, four, and so you can go not only jump up octaves, but you can jump up fifths as well. And there's two sides of the oscillator. I can maybe show you. Yeah. So that's. Just on a little basic patch. Sounds pretty good. Um, so I can change the pitch of each oscillator by an octave. And then two octaves. And three octaves. And I can change one side. And I can make it a fifth. I play with a fifth as well, so... independently and I think that is one of the coolest sounds yeah and then it's also got a very basic sequence in it so you can record little patterns Right, so what I've just watched you do is play the keyboard and then you created your sequence with that. And then, so you would do that and then continue to fiddle with it. Right. So all the time you'd be recording that? Yeah. And playing, really, yeah. improvising. Yeah. Um, and you'd carry on doing that until you got bored, I presume. <laughs> uh, yeah, or... and, and you can play on top of it. That's pretty good, that. Yeah. 
Sounds lovely. You're recording this, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> um, a future floating point here. So there you go. Um, yeah, so there's, there's all this, there's just like tons of that audio in this file. And then other elements came from me singing. I've got the CS70 running and then I'd have this sort of vocal stuff on top and I can build these pads, these textures. And the bass line is from um, the Chroma. And that's, that is a loop. And then all the Buchla stuff. So all the sounds created on that, are they, in, say if when I'm hearing them, are those individual hits or is that something that has... No, it's just, that's just a st single piece. Yes. Yeah. So like, actually that's the Buchla plus the MAM drum machine, which is to your right as well. Right. The little silver drum machine just by your... By oh yeah. Yeah, that's, I think that's a, maybe from the UK, that, that thing. Um, that features a lot on this record. Um, so I, I really like the combination of Buchla and that thing. Mm. Um, and I really like the combination of Buchla with real drums. And so Elenia was Buchla with real drums. And this album's been a bit more Buchla with uh, MAM. Right. Um, and so, you know, the, I've used the Buchla system for 10 years or so. And, you know, every year I'm buying more and more modules for it because I, I find that I just kind of know it yeah. well now. And um, and so, yeah, I use that on a daily basis. Yeah. yeah. And wh when you're exploring these sounds, you know, what are you looking for? What are you striving for? Um, so with Last Bloom, if you started with the CS70 and then combined that with um, some bass from the chroma and you, your voice um, harmonies... Mm. Um, are you searching for a particular emotional connection or a, a, a particular direction for for a track? Sometimes, uh, sometimes not. I mean, there's definitely tracks on the album that are entirely premeditated and inspired by a story or something. Mm. Um, sometimes a track can lead itself. And I think this is this is an example of that. You know, yeah, this started off um, as just that sort of background pad and the vocal and I was playing with the Buchla stuff and I think it's only until the melody that it kind of kept, started to come together. Yeah. It's like, oh, this could be a piece of music. Right. Um, so I, the, the melody's from the Chroma. Yeah, so to go back to the Buchla stuff, so... Sounds pretty cool. Mm. And then I've got delays on that as well, which are... And distortion, which I think they're panned uh, sort of left and right. So the distortion's um, a sort of early Roland fuzz pedal, which I've got a few of that I think are really brilliant. I used to use that live. And then a time modulator, Marshall time modulator in the other channel, and that's um, 
I got that one from Martin Hannett. Right. Joy Division producer. Yeah. I think I, I understand that Joy Division called it the time waster <laughs> because they're <laughs> notoriously difficult to use. Right. I still don't know what it's doing. Yeah. But I love using that. And so, all together, the bootleg. And all that kind of sounds of it sounding like it's in reverse. That's all um, just opening the attack times on the bootleg. And I do that with a foot pedal. So I've got like a Roland EV5 trashy expression pedal. Mm. And um, I soldered a 9-volt battery across the potentiometer. And then just instead of it being a voltage regulator, it's now actively spitting out 0 to 9 volts, then connected that to some banana plugs, and then would just patch that into the bootleg. Right. And then, yeah, we just would then create a network of modulation all around the bootleg. And then the far module in the system there that's got loads of LEDs on it is um, a matrix router. So you can patch in one input and have that go to lots of outputs. And so with just one movement of my foot, I can control, you know, 100 parameters on the modular. And that's kind of what I do live as well. And I find that really really fun because there's a delay unit built into the bootle as well so you can play with the delay time and feedback and uh, the pitch of the oscillators the length of the decay time length of the attack time uh, just by moving your foot i added a little switch to the pedal so that i didn't drain the battery all the time and uh if you forget to turn it on during a show then you're like moving your foot furiously and nothing's happening <laughs> it's usually because i forgot to turn turn it on um so, so, I mean, would you be doing this almost like a live performance then, if, it, if it's that, that related to your live performance? Ah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, the whole point of this record was that um, I'd come off the back of a touring with um, the XX around Europe with a s- sort of small rig that was kind of the one that's on that the table in the middle of the room. And we'd, uh, well, I'd, I'd go out on stage and play 30 minutes of improvised music. And... I think the record that kind of inspired me a lot of the time was this uh, Harmonia 1974 album, live album, track called Venteranissimo. And it's just a little drum machine going through various delays. And then a synthesizer on top that's kind of, sounds like it's drifting out of time, sounds like it's sequenced, but I think, I kind of don't want to know how it was done because I'm always searching for like how to do it. It's brilliant. I thought I'd go out on stage and do something like that. And so I took a Korg Volker Beats, which is this tiny little drum machine no one has any respect for, but they should. Cause, uh, <laughs> everyone says it's the most joke, snare drum of all modern drum machines, but I fully disagree. I make it the, the central theme of the entire show. <laughs> and so, that's, uh, so I was using that, and um, I took that, the gear back from that tour, into here and it it became the new heart of the studio because there's one problem with this place is that there's all this stuff and uh it's very easy just to be overwhelmed with the amount of uh just pure junk in here that you never actually get anything done but i set up this gear back off the tour and so it was like i had this mixer which is a sonosax sxst which is a swiss broadcast console and then the Buchler, a couple of drum machines, a clock, and I had a looper that I'd built in Ableton. And then I embellished 
that setup with the CS70 and the, the Chroma and things like that. So, and so, yeah, the whole thing is very performative. The whole whole record is designed around the live setup and designed so that I can play it live as well. So, yeah. so now I'm touring like live, and it's basically using the gear I use to make the record. And just on your own, or yeah, 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 yeah. So, so solo performances. Yeah. Um, and you were saying with Last Bloom about the melody, yeah. that that once you got the melody, that that kind of made it become something. Yeah. Yeah, so the when I came off that tour, I then had like a year here where, you know, I thought thought I was trying to make a record, but actually I wasn't doing anything. And I was just messing around with all this equipment and and I spent a lot of time with the chroma because I knew that I loved the sound of it. And one day wiped the memory from it. And I mean it's accidental. Right. Told you I don't know what I'm doing, and then uh, and then then spent uh, a really good opportunity to basically start from scratch, and then I wrote my own presets. So there's 200 presets on it, which are now all mine, and um, I'm incredibly happy with. And um, and so that sound was one of the presets, and it's got I've modded them with polyphonic aftertouch, so you can massage keys independently of each other and uh, modulate the the behavior of the sound of each individual oscillator, each individual key, which is very powerful. So this patch here depends on how you can make it the, the note bend by basically pressing the key harder. It's a really nice action playing the, the chroma itself. So that's this sound. Where you hear it's bend a bit. Adding in the bukla. That's pretty much the whole track. Mm. And when you make those decisions about when to drop out the beat and things like that, is that purely in the moment, or sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially with this record because it's it's all using the Sonosax world. I was throwing phases up and down, and um, I'm using the direct outs of each fader to feed the recorder. Yeah. I mean, I, and a lot of the time, I wasn't using Dante. I was using I've got this uh, sound devices recorder that just you know, you just plug in a thing and just hit record and it just goes. Yeah. Good for someone like me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's it's a lot more um, sort of uh, rough and ready sort of recordings of this. And so, I mean, would you make a few passes at yeah. capturing yeah. Last Bloom? Uh, yeah, with this one. I mean, I played the melody as one take and, mm. and uh, I think did it right the first time. So I was kind of happy with it. <laughs> right. You know, I just did it the way I liked it. And that's the thing with this record, a lot of prep. And then when it came to actually just sort of playing it, I did the whole record very quickly, five weeks or something. So right. it was so performative, the actual process of recording it, the process of like conceiving of the whole idea for it probably took a lot longer because 
you know, I was making the sounds and trying yeah. to organize myself yeah. you know, in my head. And it's amazing because it, it seems very labor intensive in many ways because you're kind of, in effect, creating instruments for yeah. yourself to use, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah. The, n- nobody else in the world has these particular versions of these instruments that you're creating in terms of the sounds that run through them. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, the Chroma, I mean, there's a, there's a forum, Chroma forum, which I'm an active member of, you know, know, all six of us uh, talk about uh, the synth. And um, and in fact, Tim wrote this iPad app that um, can control every aspect of, of the synth. And that's made it very, very fast to program the thing because it's um typically very very difficult to menu dive you have to have the manual open the whole time because right. it's um you know be like parameter 14 is like changes the routing of all the oscillators and things like this and you don't know what that is you know you need to look at the manual for reference i mean no one would memorize that yeah so, you know so um this ipad thing's helped a lot and the ipad can even store memories and can fade between presets which is incredibly cool um, you know, and I can randomize like a lot of the elements of these synthesizers. I remember there's this, um, there's a, a logic synth that you can hit randomize and just randomize all the sort of parameters. And I used to create loads of wicked sounds on that. Yeah. And there's no design in there, you know, and just keep it in randomized until you get something that sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm into that as well. I still use all the logic stuff. Like the baseline of this is probably ES1. I don't know. EFM one, twenty years old. This synth or something. I don't know. It's like yeah. early VST. I I, I like this because I've got all these synths here that are famous for their bass, and uh, <laughs> I still use the Logic inbuilt one. <laughs> yeah. um, so that was Last Bloom. I mean, should we have a, a blast of Last Bloom in its finished state? Um, because we've been listening to it in various different states. Just uh, are you able to give us that? Yeah, let's play selection? Yeah. yeah, let's have a quick blast of that. It's interesting, Sam, because um, listening to the new album, there were a lot of questions I had in my head with regard to where does this come from? Where do these sounds come from? What are these sounds? Because sometimes when you're listening to music, you're processing how the person who created it has played it. And with the kind of music that you make or some of the kind of music that you make, as we are learning, it's impossible to process it in that way, isn't it? As a passive listener. No, you you just let yourself be immersed and taken away. I think that's very kind of you to say. I mean, I I, mean, I I spend a lot of time here, you know, and and I maybe you know by doing this I'm ruining the mystique of that. But uh, I, I mean I don't know. But I I feel like I'm not. I mean that just now like the the portamento on the on the CS70. It's like a. I mean, I, pra- I practice on it like every day. I yeah. play this instrument every day. I I know this instrument. Like I can look at the I can look at where all the faders are now and kind of 
a pretty good idea of what it's going to sound like before I play it. And I think that's really important. Really, yeah. really important to like be so familiar with these things. And, yeah. I mean, that yeah. is a musician needs to know his instruments, and that's exactly what you're doing. You know, and, and so, and I don't think you're ruining the mystique because, in, in effect, you're you're explaining that um, the mystique is is endless in the, in right. that nobody apart from you can get to this. I don't think. Well, I don't know. I mean, if anyone dials in in these things on, they can get the same. Yeah, sound. I suppose so. Yeah, but. Um, I mean, that, I think that, that, if anything, people are getting from this conversation would be that you have to get to know your equipment yeah. and you have to use it a lot yeah. frequently in order to master it. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I, I listen to like the chroma here, and that feels so musical to me. Mm. That feels like it could be a sort of strange digitized shamisen or something like it. It feels like a real string's been plucked. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm really interested in making. When I listen to musicians, I want to, you know, if I see a cellist embodying a cello, I want to hear into their soul. And I feel like it's fairly easy, however ropey you are as a cellist, because you're physically connected to that object. And you're, um, but with with a synthesizer, it's a lot harder because um, you're behind all these circuits and. And so I, you know, I, I long for electronic music where you hear beyond the instrument into the soul of the performer. Yeah. And that's something that I, I that's my entire search, you know, my entire practice is that. So sure, I mean, someone could probably dial in this sound, but you have to play with the modulation whilst you're playing it in order to, I guess, convey that, the soul of the yeah. instrument, you know, yeah. Yeah, fascinating. So we're going to move on to a, another track, to Anasik Modular. Dan, <laughs> yeah. now this, you were telling us earlier about making up titles yeah. um, for your pieces and how kind of random it mm -hmm. can be. So yeah. where does Anasik Modular um, come from? You can imagine Anna wasn't very well. Anna is a, she's one half of the Hamill Industries group that do all my visual stuff. They made the video for Last Bloom. They tour with me. Yeah. Um, and we're in a hotel in in Sydney, Melbourne, or something like this. And um, she, yeah, she was sick, and I we had like a day off, and I was just set up my bukla, and uh, I think maybe I'd taken some chicken soup to her. I was like, oh, "You, you get better, Al." And then so I opened a new file, and there you go, Anna, sick modular. <laughs> you know, that's kind of how it started. And, yeah. And I does I, she know this now? Actually. She does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like fine. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> so, great. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because, um, you know, in the world of electronic music and we look at track titles, you know, from the last 20, 30 years, you know, particularly in the world of, say, Aphex Twin and you look at titles and you wonder, what, what does that mean? Right. You know, so it's really nice to hear the human story behind yeah. Anasik Modular, yeah. I think. Yeah, I mean, I saw his new record's got this, uh, like, T69 something release, something like that, and... The sound devices recorder that I use here is, um, adds capital T and then a, a number, so it's like T75, mm. and then you give it a title. And so I've got hundreds and hundreds, well, thousands of files on my computer called T69, something. And it's funny, when I saw that, I was like, it's obviously using that piece of equipment. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, who knows? But I imagine his titling is, is also um, 
you know, just what you call it in the moment. And uh, I mean, there's certain pieces on the record, Sea Watch and things like that, mm. that actually I went in to write and that was like, this is what I'm writing about. But often, you know, you just open a new session and you start making music and you hit save at some point because it's starting to get cool and you, you better call it something. And you can't call it QWERTY all the time because you've done that <laughs> 300 times already. So um, Anna's sick and it's a modular synthesizer. So that's that stuff. And it, it sometimes sticks, you know. And it's funny because there's other titles on the record that uh, haven't stuck, you know. So I've got a code name for them and then there's the release name. Right. But then when we discuss it with like when we're doing the, the show and with Anna and the Hamill Industries lot, we call it the code names, right. the file names. And it's very difficult when, especially in interviews, when someone's like, you know, let's talk about bias. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? I don't <laughs> know which track that is. Yeah. And that happens a lot, a lot. Yeah. Right. This one, So this one's like, um, so I'd record all the shows I'd do. And then part of the audio from this came from a live show I did in Amsterdam at Deckmantel Festival. And it was one of the, solo shows I was doing and I went a little off piste because I mean I I can kind of do anything with the setup I've got I can sort of stick to a strict menu of tracks or I can completely improvise the whole thing and, and so this track was born out of an improvisation at Deckmantel De and then when I was in Australia I was like I wanted to kind of work on it maybe make it into a track and the synthesizer I used for it uh, was um, Yamaha Reface CS, which is a hundred dollar little synth. It's like a toy, basically, and, but an amazing sounding one. A really beautiful, rich, massive polyphony, like eight voice or something, for something that's like you know tiny. And this, you had that with you in Australia, or it, yeah, 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 because it's so small, like it's in my backpack. You know? Right. Yeah. I mean, I was touring live in Australia, so I had all my gear, but. I don't generally set it all up in, in hotel rooms. It's yeah. annoying. <laughs> well, presumably it's probably in a, in a case waiting to get to the next Yeah, exactly. Date. But I would I would tour... Yeah, so we had all the, all the sort of flight cases, everything was kind of... I think it was being frayed around or whatever, and, and I, I kept a few bits and bobs with me, like a bit of the Buchla system would stay with me and because I like to mess with it. Um, and so, yeah, this one... Maybe I'll try to load it up. Give me a... If you give me a few hours... Yeah, so this is interesting because Sam has leaned behind the ARP to find an old tape with all the settings for particular tracks to come up onto the API desk. So he's restuck one of these old tapes with all those instructions um, on top of the desk in order to call up the particular channels and what they did have when you were making this track. Is that right? I am so proud of myself that I've kept this. That is like, really clever because often, you know, you see these in studio walls as you've got some a few yeah. uh, kind of taped to the wall and often, you know, you think, well, that was that session, yeah. that is done and that can go in the bin. Yeah. I mean, I think it's useful to keep them for if you need to go back and stem things out for whatever radio edit or whatever you need to do. But I've not found a masking tape that has the, the, the stickiness that to stay on a wall for very long. <laughs> right. So... These scribble strips, I mean, there's, there used to be hundreds of them. And uh, this one um, still exists. And so 
Let me see if it's actually... So this is the scribble strip for Anasik yeah. Modular. So there's, um, yeah, that original little bit of audio is from... So this is you performing live in Amsterdam? Yeah, this is live from Amsterdam, yeah. So you were particularly happy with this? I like this. I mean, this is all from that Yamaha keyboard. And I think if you see this keyboard, you're like, no way that can do that. Um, so the next stage was you're sitting in this hotel room in Melbourne, Australia, with this extra day because Anna's sick. Yeah. <laughs> and you go back to that recording of you performing with the Yamaha yeah and and basically made a wicked beat that uh, I mean this beat is thick <laughs> and then made a little bass line thing and then added some other pads from the CS which I had with me and you had that all in your backpack yeah Wow. And the bass line is just um, another embarrassing inbuilt, yeah, ES1 logic. And then the reverbs from. Um, uh, Publison Infernal Machine, which is it's quite an esoteric uh, effects process just by your knee. Um, apparently Prince had like uh, 12 of them. I think they were frighteningly expensive back in the day because it was 1980s, very early digital. And it's just, um, there's about 15 layers of, of CMOS chips in there. It's a really crazy amount of computing going on in there. Mm. And uh, the guy who makes it is scratched off every single chip so you don't know what you can't ID anything and actually apparently still alive in Paris and you can get them repaired but it takes like four years so you send it to them <laughs> and, yeah so I got that one someone told me it came from the random access memories uh, album of uh, Daft Punk right but I don't I mean I don't know if yeah that, that was yeah. like from the person selling it was like this is just use on that record and um, I'm now thinking of this strange world where you go to some dark corner of a Paris marketplace and yeah. and talk to some some guy who's saying yeah 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 Daft Punk use this and uh, yeah right, yeah, right. No, they're kind of selling you this thing yeah yeah, yeah. And they didn't I mean the thing is I was there to buy it because I was like I want one of these uh, yeah. things because it's got um, it's a multi-effects processor and uh, one of the cool things it's got is a pitch shifting algorithm which it's pretty cool, but you can actually play in over MIDI the transposition. So you set a root, say middle C's the root, you sing a note, and then if you press the fifth above, it'll pitch it up to the fifth above. And so you can basically re-pitch any tone that's going into it. And this is from 1980, I mean, this is crazy. It's got delays and phases, and the reverb on it is so magical. And the one below it is an AMS reverb, so I combine the two and often put the AMS through the Mutron biphase. So I, I like phase on reverb, and so then I kind of mix the two reverbs together. I, I spend a lot of time 
considering space in records because um, with electronics it's quite difficult because they do come out just on a jack, very dry. So yeah. I like to create a, a sort of false sense of space and yeah, it's a really fun way of doing it. Interesting. So, I mean, we've now got you in your hotel room yeah. um, playing with all these different sounds and yeah. creating anisic modular yeah. kind of... Uh, then what happens next? I mean, what do you finish the track there? And yeah, then? so obviously I don't have any of the fancy reverbs there, but um, yeah. yeah, finish it there. Right, uh, yeah. and then it's a matter of, right, I'm onto something here, I think I've got a song, yeah. and you come back home, and you're it. back in the studio, and then you, it's a matter of mixing it and finding the reverbs for particular parts of the... Yeah, all the stuff, the glitchy stuff at the end, mm. is um, I, I did using the live setup, so I then sampled the entire output and then would start playing with repeating tiny sections of it, sixteenths and all the way down to single samples, so we'll start hearing it. Yeah, I did. I did that once I got back here. Right. Um, and actually, now looking at it, there's a few other little things I've got. There's a uh, the strings here. And are those real strings then? Yeah. That's, right. Uh, a bunch of friends that. Um, yeah, but I mean, it's really interesting within this track because there are moments when you think, "Yes, those must be strings," mm. but they can be quite tiny moments that you notice them within the rest of the sound yeah. spectrum yeah i mean I, I want to really distort the uh perception of like what's real and what's not and there's another track on the record called uh, requiem for cs70 yes. and strings where the cs70 and the strings playing the same thing until i start changing the feet on cs70 and the, the strings are mixed so low that you don't hear them until the CS70 sort of departs and rises up and then comes back down to earth and you're like, hang on, is that strings? And I think that actually it really only gives the game away is the fact that the strings sound like they're in a room. And so you hear you hear the sound of a room mm. and actually that's the thing that I think alerts the listener to the fact that it could be real. So I, I should have really experimented more with like trying to make the room more dead when they recorded because I really wanted it to be uncertain but, you know, I, I like that track. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, no, it's a lovely piece. And, and Fillets, is it the opening track? That, yeah. Does that have strings on it? Yes, yeah, so that's that, uh, violin, violin, violin. And you've got cello, some brass on there, have you? Flute, yeah. clarinet, bass clarinet, yeah. and French horn, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting that you are consciously playing with the idea of what the listener is hearing and w whether they are actually hearing what they think they're hearing <laughs> right. no you never no, you yeah. are you yeah, clearly yeah. are because it's it, so are you trying to play with your mind um and i mean even though you know what's sure, going on i mean um yeah i think that i've always been keen on like creating these mirages of or no what's the word the illusion of things sounding one way and then slowly they kind of pull apart you know say if like you've got this sound it sounds you know nice it sounds like this one thing and then slowly one goes into the left channel, one goes into the right channel, and you realise, oh, hang on, that's a sine wave and that's a violin. Mm. And then they come back together again and they form something that's completely different because the waves interact. And that's uh, 
that's just fun. Yeah. That's about as much fun as I have. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I define. That's how I derive my fun. Um, I mean, you have performed. You know, you, you've got floating ensemble. You know, you you perform with strings and with yeah. your friends who who yeah. perform and play these instruments. So, yeah. you know, it's something that you continue to do and have done yeah. in the past. I mean, I love uh, love work with other musicians that play acoustic instruments um, because they are so expressive. So, so expressive. And I really love writing the parts. I mean, I guess like my background is fairly classical and I, I understand sort of these principles of orchestration, but what I love doing is writing these parts often the night before in a panic and it being this sort of academic exercise. And I always start, I start on paper and then I, because I find it quicker. And then once it starts getting too hectic, I'll put it into software called Sibelius, which... Um, I don't enjoy using in any way. Um, I think it's too. It's aimed at playback, and I, I've never used the playback in in it because it's not only my computer can't handle it, uh, but it's uh, it's designed so that you can hit play and it sounds exactly the same. But um, I think it's an exercise. It's really good for my head to still try and imagine what it sounds like. And, yeah, you know, it's slow, and I use a piano to help me. But the coolest thing is. And you take the parts down to the musicians, you give it to them, and then you go in the control room, whatever, and you sort of say, okay, here we go. And then they play it, and it's like, oh, yeah, that sounds so good. That's so much better than how it sounded in my head. It always, always, always sounds better in real life. And uh, I would encourage anybody to write for for real musicians playing, because it's, you know, you've, you're writing score, and it just... You know, in your head, you're like, this is going to be horrible. It's going to be terrible. But then, invariably, it's brilliant, you know, just as a texture. And and um, so that's that, as a process, is, like, probably the most fun I have when recording, you know, because you get to share that moment with other people as well. And it's really, really nice. Um, for Lays, I mean, that's... Because it's... Yeah, it starts off as, like, a, a normal ensemble piece mm. and then quite quickly the boucler kind of closes its filters on the players and that the idea of that piece was that instead of using the the oscillators out of the synthesizers as the core sonic i was using using a violin instead and using a clarinet instead so those are the elements that were being modulated by the rest of the chain you know the oscillator is the first thing in the chain of any synthesizer but instead of it being the oscillator here it was an actual person playing an instrument. Yeah. And so I wanted to experiment with that. Yeah. And with, with Anasic Modular, the string parts, did you write out those parts for them to play as well? Yep. Yeah. Um, there's a little bit here. I mean, it is fascinating it's because so much this. of what you've been showing us today is kind of improvised and... Um, coming up with something and then reacting to that and moving on yeah. and you know, taking that with you. Yeah. Um, and yet there's another part of your brain that is also thinking about notating music and yeah. translating your ideas in that way in order for other people to perform them for you. Yeah. You know, so the two things are kind of going side by side and you, you clearly love both. Yeah. No. Um, I mean, it's, it's, uh, 
Yeah, I have a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I get I guess I get a bit bored maybe just doing just electronics and yeah, there's so much more out there. And but I mean this, I mean this. Um, I guess the strings were added late in the game here um, for Anasik module yeah. in particular. And the little line just there at the end was played. I wanted to. I quite like recording things in in reverse, so I'll write it out the way I want to hear it. I love this with strings, and then I'll invert the sequence, which is you know like a classical standard thing to do. Just like write the the notes backwards, basically, and then when you play it back, you play it in in uh, reverse, so you get. It. This, because that's basically the, I'm playing the, the line I wanted to hear, but playing it in reverse. Yeah, I've flipped the audio, so you get the kind of the bend of the notes. I really love the sort of string writing in like the, the Middle East and things like this, where these sort of glissandia really controlled, super musical like bends of the notes, and I never know how to really annotate it, and I'm always trying to ex explain to violence to like just play as if you're drunk or something like like just slurring between all the notes and you know sliding around and I find it quite hard to uh to get that exactly how I want it but I find that when I play it backwards it always kind of sounds has the has that I don't yeah. know why yeah and there's also I think uh I've got the Selena and that's that kind of adds in with the strings as well which that's just it. I love the Selena. So that's um that isn't the ARP Selena, that's the original Selena string ensemble, which has got extra filters and extra voices on it. Um so you can hear the cutoff filters quite low on it. And that's a phenomenal instrument. And I, I don't know why they're so cool. When those are with real strings, it's the nicest sound. Mm. Like. Yeah, and then I think there's some of my voice in there as well, probably. Very out of tune. <laughs> And that's going through an MXR flanger as well. Yeah, nice reverb. But yeah. Yeah, lovely. Kind of so, it. and that's where is that in Anasic Modular? That's kind of near the end. Uh, no, that's that's end? that's oh. in the sort of middle. Right. So. modulator mm. just on the drums yeah so many different elements uh, to something that in a way started with an improvisation yeah no. exactly yeah fascinating yeah so it started with improvisation then I kind of embellished that in a hotel in Melbourne or somewhere in Australia and then um, came back here and and recorded the strings and Selena and, and um, 
and yeah, did all those kind of the little bits of the mix there where I yeah. I really, 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 really like the way that the um, I rode the drums in on a fader, just there where it kind of the drums switch into the time modulator, and then they come out, and I just press the faders up on the desk again and record that in. So where is it? I'll turn the reverb down so it's a bit more obvious. I, I quite like that sound. So yeah. And those are all those little things were like in the mix, but have quite a big musical impact on on the track. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. So uh, we were going to look at bias as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, what was the genesis of this, Sam? Um, It was from a a patch that I made on the Chroma. Um, But yeah, it basically started off really like pianistically... Um, the the opening is just me playing the piano. So yeah, the that sound there, the instrument is of the top line and the bass line is uh, just one one patch that I was just playing on the piano. So the whole thing is just just played yeah um i think i was playing probably to a click and then um the clicking is from an oberheim uh, ob8 which is this blue one here um, which uh, it has like a really tight um envelope generator so you can get these quite nice clicks on it which are they now you hear turning into an arpeggio And then I've got me going, ah, new, as as per usual. Because, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I only use my voice because um, I find it's a lot quicker to, if I want to get a certain texture, I can do it really quickly with my voice, like uh, like pads and things like that. Rather than using a synthesizer and try and figure it out, I can often get, you know, I can balance how much top end and stuff I can yeah. have in my voice and intonation is the only problem then. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's basically it's really simple and then the drums is uh, the mam drum machine next to you which right is the kind of bulk of the beat yeah and then the cymbals on top is um i've got another room in the studio with the drum kit in and i'm just it's really loud playing and going through the um, 176 compressors and we've got these uh neve 33114 preamps which i really really like the sound of And then once, because it has this kind of moody beginning for a couple of minutes, really, and then the beat kicks in, and then it goes off. Yeah. Um, but you just carry on doing that over the beat. I mean, yeah. So the melody carries on, yeah, till they hear, and and then the bass line just takes over from it. And it's just, and it cuts down to the absolute zero silence here. It's pretty good at festivals. 
<laughs> I bet. I mean, it, 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 does that come into it? Do you think, right, I'm on this track, this would be a banger, I could play this, um, people go crazy? I mean, I don't know, if it's maybe a little... I'm not that cynical. Well, I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's cynical. No, it's not cynical at all. It's um, no, I, I'm not it's practical. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not. No, I'm not really thinking about that stuff. I'm just like, this is the. I want the biggest drop at this yeah. point, and uh, where better than to silence is uh, Yeah. And so, um, yeah. There's a. I remember like times at Plastic People. There's there's this record that I don't know what it is. Again, I don't want to know what it is because it's this mythical record in my head. I think it's a Carl Gregg record but this is like this track that just builds up and this pad the most beautiful sounding pad sound I've ever heard in my life and it's growing and growing and growing and growing and then it just cut off to nothing and still to this day that feeling of hearing that at that club was like I was like that's the greatest uh, drop I've ever heard and um, so I'm always trying to like I've always got that in mind. You know? Yeah, so cr- to recreate that feeling. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating to think that you don't want to know what that track was. Right, because I'm, I'm worried that if I do hear it again, it's not as good as it yeah. was. You know, that, yeah, but that moment is is the yeah. moment that yeah. you try and recreate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, wow, I love that idea that you you denied yourself the knowledge. Right, <laughs> <laughs> it's safer, because I, I suspect it might not be. I mean, I, I, think, I think it was a Carl Craig record, but I mean... It wouldn't surprise me because he's. That's one of the door. It wouldn't surprise me because um, everything that Carl Craig does is pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. But it is interesting because you are a record collector. You are somebody who hunts down records. Yeah. But I love that idea that that particular moment has such importance you know, yeah. that you want it to remain that moment, that feeling that yeah. was created. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and obviously, if you were to be disappointed by discovering what track it was, then that would right. take that all away. You know, right, right, right. Shame. Yeah, it's a bit mad, isn't it, really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, but I think, I think it's actually stumbling a, upon the essence of what it's about because um, yeah. as somebody who plays records on the radio, as somebody who you know, has bought mini records in a record shop, yeah. and knows that I've bought many records because I've heard them on the radio and yeah. radio has that great compression and, it mm-hmm. can, and it, you take it out of that context and suddenly mm-hmm. it doesn't have the same impact doesn't have the yeah. same um, value somehow right. it just it, it disappears evaporates yeah. and, and it's a real shame but that for that moment I mean this happens to you know to us all you're driving along radio's on by chance and you just happen to have turned it on and this particular thing comes on yeah. it's like whoa that sounds amazing yeah I remember radio like hearing Old radio compression on when I, my first my early records would be played on the radio and when I wasn't even getting them mastered or anything and and I'd hear I don't know Giles or Benji or whatever playing one of my tracks and uh, I'd be like this sounds way better than the way I hear it in my studio because of some gnarly BBC compressor that's yeah. just sucking the life out of it but actually kind of giving it the sheen the sound of the show immediately contextualize the record within the the culture of that show and that was quite amazing for me because even though sonically i i mean i think the bbc compressors are overkill um mm. especially on radio one but but hearing it through it it gave it that yeah the sound that, that makes it sound like it's part of the culture yeah. of, of radio one and that was like suddenly like, wow I'm, I'm part of this now you know that's quite a cool feeling yeah so i used to then rip my rip my tunes off the radio and then listen back to them 
as radio rips rather than listening to them as the the original right. files. Yeah, because they sounded better. Because too. yeah, yeah. And they sounded yeah. like they sounded like they're part of uh, a community of, of records that were getting played. You know. Yeah. And that I guess that made me feel like uh, you know helped me continue doing it. It's like yes, it's part of something and it's relevant. Maybe. Yeah. You know. Amazing. I mean, I don't. I don't think I. I think I've. I've realized that now. Mm-hmm. Not back then. I was like, this sounds cool. You know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's so fascinating um, being here and being let into your um, modus operandi, <laughs> as it were, Sam. Um, there are a couple of questions that we ask people. Repeat questions. Um, but one of them is a piece of kit. I mean, you're surrounded by kit here. Um, is there any particular piece of kit that you don't think you could work without or one that you would recommend? That Yamaha CS thing is wicked. I think everyone should get one of those. Yeah, the little white reface. I think it's called CS or something. Is that the one that you had in that hotel room? Yeah, I, I use it on all my live shows. I mean, right. I, yeah, I remember doing the XX tour and they had they take their own sound system with them and you know, apparently, like the sound engineer, I said I peaked at 140 dB, at, like for like a split second, and it was because I just flicked the octave switch down and just smacked a a bass note, and and he said this is like the loudest sound I've ever heard, <laughs> and it was, and it was thanks to that synth. So I was, uh, you know, very happy, very happy with with this. You know, um, that is a brilliant little uh, little synth, mm. and also they're remarkably, remarkably good value. So. I'm really into that. Yeah. yeah. Um, have you had a piece of advice that has uh, nurtured you or been really useful to you um, on on this journey so far? I mean, all the, every day. I mean, as I've got lots of friends who uh, who I trust, uh, you know, implicitly with with uh, sort of everything I'm doing. I mean, there's no. There's no right or wrong way to do things. I mean, I see people doing all these uh, production courses and things like this, and it's it's great. But like, it, I never did that. I have no idea what I'm doing in here, but I still managed to make some music. You know, I think that's the thing. Like, you just follow your your passion the entire time, mm. and you'll sort of you go beyond the the gear. I mean, the gear doesn't doesn't matter in any way to me. It's like if I lost all this stuff, it would be like, well, I still carry on making music somehow. So I don't think any of the gear matters. Yeah. I'd, I'm sorry. I'm just like talking rubbish now. I'd, I mean, I piece of advice. I, I don't know. I get, no, there's not like a single mantra I operate by. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But it's just interesting because you, you've you know, come through a system that um, you engaged with as a, as a young adolescent or whatever you know learning mm. the piano yeah. mastering that you know achieving certain levels of of things that, that could have taken you further down particular paths right, they? right 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 and um you know but along the way you've both followed your own instincts and your own interests yeah. um but also you know there might have been people who've kind of said go on mate you know carry on doing that or yeah i mean definitely like like patrick forge and giles and and ben, you know people who are like who I really looked up to, who would, you know, all it would just take it would take nothing from from any of these people just to be like they just say oh that's that's cool you know what you're doing is cool and that would just be enough for you to be like 
okay, let's make another banger, you know, let's, yeah. uh, and that's, I've, you know, I'm forever grateful to, you know, all these people that have like helped me and just encouraged me. There's a night called CDR in London where people would share their productions and you'd listen to it on the system of plastic people. And that was a very much a community thing. You know, everyone was gathering around listening to each other and you'd, there'd be lots of artistic collaborations coming out of that room as well. And a lot of people talking about compressors and all that kind of nerdy stuff as well. And, and it was wicked. Like what a brilliant idea. Mm. Um, and so, you know, a lot of my music was born out of the encouragement from, from those sessions as well, from other, my friends and colleagues in music making, just being like, yeah, that sounds great. Maybe turn the bass down a bit, you know? Yeah. I still get that every day. <laughs> yeah. Poor old Matt Colton. He's just like, yeah. Cause we, we mastered a lot of this record, um, cause we, we bounced some of it to tape and, and he was like, I can't, I've not got enough switches on the bass roll off like i've taken you down to nine you need to i've got a sub now so everything's all right david drench was like get a sub stop like messing around get a sub and yeah wrencher is like a good uh guru of mine and kieran forte and caribou dan they they we talk you know a daily basis about you know checking each other's mixes out and yeah yeah tech stuff tech talk but, but yeah, not so much but, like we, I feel like, yeah, we never really, I'd never talk to them about like what compressors, like we don't talk about that stuff. Um, I may with David, but I enjoy it on a level, but then I don't really care. I mean, I use the Logic inbuilt compressor. You don't need any fancy plugins. I mean, I've got a few fancy plugins, but I, yeah, just Logic. It does all, it does everything. Yeah. It's got a compressor, it's got a limiter, it's got a, Gates, you know, EQs. It's you know, it's about how you use these tools. That they all do the same thing ultimately. Mm. Yeah, I do like the idea though that you do have these daily conversations. Um, David was on the podcast with right. uh, Marika talking about um, the way he works, mm. well, the way he worked with Marika. It was fascinating, yeah. and uh, yeah, I like the idea that there's a, a secret society <laughs> there, I mean, that you're part of. Yeah, there are sort of like mailing. We're on like email chains with like a whole bunch of producers we talk about like there's the t we're talking about like some is it lua the programming language for no idea yeah, well, I mean, there you go it gets yeah. it gets uh pretty lame like <laughs> <laughs> we talk about like some pretty cool stuff on there yeah sam thanks so much for allowing us into your world yeah thanks for coming down it's been so. fascinating um we're going to play one more piece of music from crush we could play something that we haven't played yet but we've alluded to so maybe we could end with fillets which is the opening track on the album which gives a, 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 an illustration of of the classical dimensions of of the album maybe do you think that's a good idea um because we did talk about it a little bit i just thought you know for, for the for those who haven't if uh, you want to punish your listeners yeah go for it <laughs> yeah do it go for it we want to punish <laughs> in a beautiful way so this is fillets this is the last um today from sam um, but it's also the opening track from Floating Point's new album, Crush.
Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have a moment, do tell your friends and leave us a review. It all really helps. Thanks to those of you who have already donated to the show. I'm just one part of the team that brings you tape notes. It relies on your support. If you'd like to donate, please head to our website. To ask a question on a future episode or find out who's coming up, head to our socials and on Instagram you can see pictures from the recording sessions for each episode of Tape Notes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.